0: Good morning, church. It is a joy to worship with you this morning as we gather together virtually, but actually studying the Word of God together. Our hope is that the Spirit of God unites us and the Word of God would revive us. This series, as we are studying witnesses, people who encountered the resurrected Jesus and left changed. We're going to be surprised in seeing this truth today, that an intimate encounter, with a surprise encounter with resurrected Jesus, moves us to a place of unity, of being together for the gospel, out of our own self-focus, and into a posture where we're serving our living King together in unity. Surprises seem to be the nature of the season. If you're like me, you are still surprised that we are under the shelter and stay orders, I thought we'd be back to normal by now, but now we're wondering if there is going to be a normal as we knew it. I'm surprised at how I've seen people encounter emotional walls and relational walls during this time, really deeply missing connection. I'm surprised that the price of hand sanitizer is more expensive than a gallon of gasoline. A gallon of hand sanitizer, a gallon of gasoline, it didn't make sense. But I was even more surprised when I told my kids my revelation, and they said, Duh, Dad. Of course it is. Look at the math. <laughs> uh, if you're like me, you're under the impression there's not much math involved in life. Anyway, I'm surprised because I thought that this season, uh, introverts would enjoy the shelter and stay more than anyone else. But I'm surprised to realize that my dogs enjoy this shelter and stay season more than anyone. <laughs> Uh, they love having the kids home all day. Uh, they really love, every time a delivery comes at the door, they bark like it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing how excited they get. And they love going on walks every day. I'm surprised at my kids, uh, how much fun we're having together, but also, uh, I'm surprised at how food becomes a recreational activity. Um, I don't have anything to do, what do we have to eat? <laughs> I don't know if they have that in PE class but I'm surprised that it is an activity here and sometimes you uh, see looking in the pantry or uh, the refrigerator and it's like a longing for another portal until they find the right food (laughs) and this is a time where food is is a little bit difficult to get it's hard to get out and get food speaking of getting out I'm surprised that I haven't been able to get out more I am under shelter and stay but honestly I was expecting to get out for more than just walks, but my family has me on what I call Love Lockdown. <laughs> I can't leave for anything uh, but an emergency. Love Lockdown is caring for Mitchell because I'm high risk, they say. Only emergencies, funerals, weddings, and of course, when my ladies have a craving for frozen yogurt. <laughs> Who knew, Surprise at even what a necessity is sometimes. Here's the deal. The Gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to see our surprises as vehicles for sanctification. They're intended to shape us because our Savior meets us in the midst of them. We can resist and reject meeting Christ in the middle of our surprises, or we can humble ourselves and welcome Christ moving towards him and being open to his love and resurrection power so that we can move out of this time together for the gospel. The unity of God's people is one important byproduct of the work of Jesus Christ. And if you look with me down to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22, we will see how all this comes together. Let's read the word of God together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked, and the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All flesh is grass and all its glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Will you join me before we study the word of the Lord and turning to the Lord of the Word in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and for the reality that you've risen from the grave. We thank you that you meet your people, even in places of shelter and stay. we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would meet us now and you would shape us by the power of your spirit. Lord, we don't want to just be inspired. We long to be transformed more into your image so that we can live more for your glory. Help us to see the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's study the Bible together. The first thing we want to see in this passage is that the resurrected Jesus meets His disciples. Now look down with me in verse 19. The disciples were on lockdown. They were on shelter and stay for their fear. And Jesus walks into the room. He goes through the walls. Jesus comes to meet His disciples through the obstacles that they had set up. And it's almost as if He's saying, look, We can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. But the love of God wants to engage our hearts and meet His disciples. Whether we are on shelter and stay because of our fear or some other reason that seems valid to us, God, who is resurrected, wants to meet you, His disciples. Well, how does He meet us? You see it in verse 20 when you look down. He meets us in vulnerability. You see, Jesus shows His wounds. And his wounds become a welcome to the disciples. They see his hands, his side, and they see that it is the Lord. And they become glad to see Jesus. This is a very tender moment. It's a very intimate moment as Jesus comes into their presence, shows his wounds, and those wounds become a welcome so Jesus meets us on lockdown, when we're on shelter and stay, in vulnerability, where His wounds become welcome for us to be vulnerable with one another and with Him. And He meets His disciples with genuine encounter. This is all of God, for all of the people of God. And we're going to look specifically at verses 21 to 22. What we see is an amazing picture of the Trinity. You see, the Father loved the world so much that He sent His Son in love. And Jesus, in this intimate encounter with His disciples in the upper room, sends His disciples by the Holy Spirit. God, in three persons, the Trinity, the Godhead, encounters the disciples through Jesus. In the intimacy of the Godhead, welcomes the intimacy of relationship with the disciples. It is an amazing picture of a whole God encountering the whole person of the disciple. This is the invitation that is for all disciples, even on Shelter and Stay. Now, we need to ask the question, how close did Jesus get when they were in Shelter and Stay? How close did He get to His disciples? I mean, I like my personal space. Right? I like to have a control of, of, of my environment and around me. But what we see is that Jesus, even as we process this in pandemic, He comes to them and He breathes on them. Jesus gets so close to His disciples that they share breath. Receiving the breath of Jesus might be a pandemic no-no, but it is a kingdom, yes, yes. Jesus must meet us on such a personal, intimate way that His love becomes more contagious than any virus that can be recorded. Jesus' breath equals life, and His breath softens hearts of stone, cold from fear, cold from self-focus. He brings a falling with His grace and His love by the power of the breath of His Spirit. The same spirit that ordered creation in Genesis 2 orders recreation in our heart, and it's given to us by Jesus. I read this story. Part of me is very uncomfortable because I don't like anyone to breathe on me. But also, I'm reminded of great literature, specifically the Lion in the Witch of the Wardrobe. I'm not sure if you have a reading list this season, but if you do not, I want to encourage you uh, to get some books. Take this time uh, to grow and intellectually learn more about who God is, the world that He's created you to live in, and the purpose that He has for you. Uh, one of my favorite uh, series of books is the the Chronicles of Narnia. and In Book 2, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, we see the Christ figure, Aslan, uh, illustrating this very story. Uh, It's interesting because the White Witch had turned every creature in Narnia into stone. Uh, She had cast the spell and turned everyone into stone, and Aslan broke the spell. He died on the stone table and resurrected. And in the same fashion that Jesus meets his disciples, Aslan is described in bringing life back to Narnia. Listen to this description. Uh, From the perspective of Lucy, one of the children, she says, what an extraordinary thing "'All these stone animals, the stone people, it's like a museum!' "'Hush!' said Susan. "'Aslan is doing something!' And Aslan was indeed. He had bound up the animals who were stone, and he began to breathe on them. Then, without waiting, in a moment, he whisked around, and he breathed on the stone dwarf, and he breathed on the other creatures.' Oh, Susan! Look! Look at what the Breath of the Lion does! Now, says C.S. Lewis, I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper, which is propped up in the grate until a fire is lit. For a second, nothing seems to happen. And then you notice a streak or a flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second, After Aslan had breathed upon the stone creatures, everything looked the same. But then a tiny streak of gold began to run along the white marble back, and then it spread. And then color seemed to lick all over as a flame begins to lick as it grows. He goes on to describe a scene where Everything comes to life. A, a museum that had creatures and, and people all in stone were, were caught in the sight of, of Susie Susan and, the, and her sister, watching life be birthed, all from the breath of Aslan. This is where the paragraph ends. The sight she saw was so wonderful. Everywhere statues were coming to life. The courtyard no longer looked like a museum. It began to look like a zoo. Creatures running everywhere with Aslan and dancing. I love that picture of the breath of the king, Aslan, breathing on stone and bringing life, turning a museum into a place with noises and sights and sounds and celebration and dancing. That's exactly what the breath of Jesus does for his people. It turns hearts of stones, uh, hearts that are on shelter and stay from our fear, our idols, our self-focus, our self-protectionism, our self-preservation, these prisons that we allow ourselves to be in, and He meets us in those places. He ambushes us with His love, and His breath brings life, life abundance. And He wants to meet us. The question is, Are we going to welcome him? Are we going to look at him? Are we going to get close enough to allow his breath to fall on us? Or will we be distracted? Uh, This past week, I was reading an article on anxiety, trying to uh, get some tools and talking to some people. It's a highly anxious time. It's very understandable, but in an amazing way, God gives us phenomenal tools Uh, to be free from anxiety. One of the tools I was reading about was not allowing ourselves to be distracted from the truth and the person of the truth. When we allow ourselves to get overwhelmed by our circumstances and our unanswered questions, anxiety begins to put us in a shelter and stay place in our heart. Uh, The illustration that this author used uh, was of sea turtle hatchlings, and, and I really resonated with this. In highlighting the opportunity we have to not be distracted, He's shared a story. Uh, uh, He lives on a coast, and near where his house is, sea turtle hatchlings uh, uh, happen a certain time of year, and these sea turtles hatch on the beach, and they go out to the sea, and they live there. And what's amazing is that part of what gets them there is the light of the moon. They follow the light and go into the sea. Now, in his area, there was a lot of development, and there was apartments and stores, and they had major lights. They were in parking areas, on our rooftops. And what uh, people were finding was that these sea turtle hatchlings were actually hatching, coming on the beach, and they were looking at the wrong light. They were distracted, and they began to go to the wrong light, and it actually led them to death. They never made it. And so what people had to do was they had to eliminate the false lights, the lights that led to death, and they had to illuminate the true light of the moon so that the sea hatchlings would know which direction to go and they could live. You see, we must be a people during shelter and stay when Jesus Christ enters into our rooms, our spaces, but going through walls and longing to come into our heart, we have to eliminate distractions. These false lights that seem to lead to life, but they actually don't. They actually increase anxiety or even, in some cases, death. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, and he comes to us and he wants us to get to know him intimately, to allow him to breathe on us. To turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and our lives and our church from a museum into a place of celebration and dancing with the King. Now, what does it look like when we go from this place of resurrection encounter uh, into life and intimacy with Jesus? Well, His words are clear. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. In the same way that Jesus loved the world, the church, his disciples, are called to love the world as well. And in fact, there's no way that we can do that in unity of his design or with any specific power in that purpose unless we intimately engage the person, of Jesus Christ, a living God who resurrected from the dead. What does it look like to be moved that deeply? I'm going to tell you this. We're going to look at a paradigm, moving from ego to engagement. And I first want to thank the men in my life through tribe who have sharpened me. I've got men through tribe that mean a lot to me, our, our men's ministry. And we've talked about the life of Peter. And through my relationship with these men, they have helped me uh, move my eyes off of false lights and to set my heart in the light and the glow of the living God, Jesus Christ, so that I could experience his breath more and remove those hurdles that promoted my ego and hindered engagement for mission. So I can't do it without the brotherhood. I'm grateful for our body. And I just I say that because oh, we miss being together, don't we? God has a time. Let's look at it, continue to look at his word. I want to look specifically at two men, Peter and John. Now You're going to hear more about Peter and more about John as this series continues. But in this moment, I want you to look down at verse uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 20. It's unbelievable because we get a glimpse of Peter and John uh, before they meet resurrected Jesus. If there's a word to describe them, it would be ego. Look at these. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 Peter went out with the other disciple, that's, that's the disciple of John, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) Now, the beloved disciple, that is John, is recording this narrative, and he is writing about the most significant seismic event that has ever happened in history. That event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, someone who rose from the grave to never die again, the first fruits of our eternal hope. And what does he throw in there? He throws in that he raced Peter to the tomb, and not only that, he won the race. (laughs) What does that say in an indirect way about what we know about humanity? We struggle with ego. We struggle with being first. We struggle with self promotion. We struggle with thinking of ourselves in our work, in our performance, before we see and we celebrate the work and the performance of God who rose from the grave. (laughs) That's amazing. But what's even more amazing is that Jesus doesn't disregard them for their short sightedness and self focus. He doesn't get rid of them because they're more competitive and collaborative, they're more self-focused and Savior-worshiping, Jesus goes to them and He meets them. He removes the distraction of the wall and He enters into such personal space with them that He breathes on them. That is grace. And that grace is transforming. It moves God's people from a place of ego to engagement. You see, James, excuse me, John and Peter would leave this upper room, and several events would happen after this. We're not going to talk about Peter, meaning Jesus on the beach, in this sermon. You'll hear about it. We're not going to talk about Pentecost in this sermon. We're going to study that. But what we need to see is that these two men who are self-obsessed, self-promoting, racing to the tomb and highlighting their own work and their own performance right there before the greatest work God has ever done, end up being on the same together, engaging in God's mission, they met resurrected Jesus and He breathed on them and He sent them out in tremendous unity and power it's a beautiful picture, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 3 and 4. Now, the unity of God's disciples, the disciples of Jesus, is actually thread all throughout this section. It's way too much to highlight, but if you want to read just really a powerful picture of the unity of God's people, take time this afternoon, it really won't take you long, to read Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 4, and note all the times that the people of God are together together that they're one, that there's no division or need among them. It's phenomenal. And the things that unite them are the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the word of God, uh, the work of the Father, all through. It's all God's work that defines them. Uh, We see it clearly uh, in this passage, but what I really want you to look at um, is uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, You see it on the screen in front of you. Let's read it together. Now... When they saw the boldness, now they are unbelievers that are in the scenario that see Peter and John together. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. Now, if we took time to read this whole thing, you would see that that John and Peter were united internally. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit unites them. You would see, if we took time to read verses 10 to 12, that John and Peter are united externally. They're united by the providential sovereign plan of the Father. In verses 10 to 12, we also see that John and Peter were united in identity. The name of the Lord Jesus alone saves. And they are both saved. And they are working together in tandem, collaborating in trust, not competing in a turf war. And they are working for the advancement of the mission that Jesus had sent them on by the power of the Spirit. And their togetherness for the gospel was so clear and so distinct that the unbelieving world had one observation. Well, multiple layers of one observation. They were unschooled, and they were ordinary men. Nothing special about them, except this. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and so they were together with the gospel. It's unbelievable. And what we see if we study Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, and all through the book, the unity that is celebrated by the church. It's so one that in verses 33 to 37 of this chapter, uh, there's no need among them. There's no hunger among them. There's no loneliness among them. Uh, God's people were one in every way because the leaders were one. There was no competition anymore. There was just a a service to the living God, Jesus Christ. Uh, This is exemplified in the historical book of Acts. But it's also taught in the epistles by Paul. Look on the screen and, and notice the language of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-5. to five. In view of God's mercy, Paul writes this, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look, not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ, we are together. But we're not together for one another. That's true, we are. But we are ultimately together for the gospel. All of us have leadership and influence. Every child has influence. Every person listening has leadership. And when we move towards Christ, seeking to have His mind, and His spirit, and His work bring us unity, not promoting ourselves, but in humility, considering others better than ourselves, then we find the purpose we're created for in the power of resurrected Jesus, his breath working through us to breathe life into the world. You see, Jesus sacrificed to show love to the church. And the church, our whole existence, is to sacrifice and show love to the world. Christians have an opportunity to respond to the grace of God and move out into the world, doing everything for the glory of God. That includes how we love one another. And even through that love for one another, loving the world, our city right now is longing to see Christ-centered Christians who have intimately been with Jesus during this shelter-and-stay season, so intimate that we've allowed His breath to breathe upon us. Christians who have removed distractions of self-focus, removed distractions of uh, self-coping or soothing through entertainment, Christians who have removed distractions of our own sorrows and even our own fears. Those are very real. But we go to the living God who is waiting to meet us so intimately, sitting to receive His breath upon us. This city needs to see Christians so that we can be free from turf wars and coexist together as a body of Christ with an integrated approach where we can surprise one another and our city with profound generosity, not looking to accumulate more for ourselves or protect ourselves, but in some mysterious way entering into the abundance of love of the Trinity experience the fullness of God's grace, being overflowed with the breath and the Spirit of God, that we might participate in the answer to our prayers, that His kingdom will come, and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, church, the point of this passage of John 21 is not just an intimate encounter with resurrected Jesus. It is also that He sends us as the Father sent Him. We have opportunity, and I would say this, we've actually been called for this moment. We are going to enter into a season that is larger than any economic crisis or any health pandemic crisis that we know We will enter into a season where family systems, societal systems, all kinds of systems will be fractured. And that fracturing will lead to casualties. Casualties in families, casualties in children, casualties in mental health, casualties in physical health, casualties in housing, casualties in neighborhoods, casualties uh, in, in abuse. And the downstream effects from that will be tumultuous. But we have an opportunity, church, I would say a calling, that God has prepared us. He's prepared you for this time. He's called us. He's called you for this time to enter into the hardship of this season, to to not see the struggle of bringing life to this city that we could be together for the gospel, to not see that as something that disqualifies us or discourages us, but in the same way that for the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross, so the church in this moment, has the opportunity to embrace struggle so that other people can thrive, that we together can identify with Christ in the struggle and also be about the purposes of Christ in the flourishing of our city. This is what we're called to do, and we have amazing power to do it with in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you to engage these texts And if you have time, to engage the questions that are on your screen and are in your worship bulletin. Yes, that's online. We have bulletins online. We're that high tech. That's right. I know, it's kind of impressive. Here's the questions. What stands out to you about the level of intimacy that Jesus offers when he encounters his disciples in the upper room? I really want to encourage you to reread that section. Number two, where do you identify with the ego that you see in John and Peter? specifically from John chapter 20, verses 3 to 5. Number three, uh, where do you want to grow in the engagement of the mission of God? As we see in Acts 4, God has called us to be together for the gospel. Everybody has a need and everyone has a role that we can move families in our city from fragmenting to flourishing in the glory of God and His design. Look at the next question. How can you, how can we, have the mind of Christ be more real in our lives, in our leadership, in our love? Please take time to read Philippians 2, 1 to 5. And finally, where do you need to repent? Where do you need to join me in repenting and asking for forgiveness so that we can move forward in grace? We will find our strength only in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let's remove all the hurdles, all the walls, and allow Him, really, just to burst into our space. And let's not reject Him or run from Him, but let's return to Him, running into His embrace, and allow Him to breathe on us. As the Father sent Him in love, so He, by the power of the Spirit, sends us out in love, together, for the gospel, for the city. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You... Our God that loved us, that when we were broken, you went and died so that we could be healed and have life, forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you show the Father's love in coming to meet us, and you give us the opportunity to show your love uh, through meeting the world, our neighbors, our family members, um, and even uh, the nations who don't know you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in such an intimate and rich way, that you would send us out in a powerful way, that you would be pleased to have your kingdom come and your will be done in San Antonio as it is in heaven, in the United States as it is in heaven, and in our world as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to uh, be at peace and to uh, experience the joy of the intimate breath that you want to breathe on us. Help us, Lord, to move from ego to engagement for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.